delivery. Um, good morning. Happy Palm Sunday. Um, I'm Andrew Sharp. I'm an elder here, and occasionally it's my privilege to uh, preach when uh, uh, Matt is unavailable. Um, and this is one of those mornings. We've been, um, Matt's been preaching on uh, Jesus' parables, and this morning we're going to talk about uh, the parable of the compassionate landowner, or at least that's the title that I think it is most apt. It's a parable that appears only in Matthew's Gospel, and it comes right after Peter has asked Jesus what his reward's going to be in Jesus' kingdom. So first I'm going to read that exchange and then read the text of the parable. Then Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And as if to elaborate on that, Jesus tells this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one's hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for, one, for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, prepare our hearts to wrestle with this very challenging parable. Help us to understand 
your heart better as we meditate on these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. This parable is told over 2,000 years ago. And yet it is completely relatable to our modern age. If you go to a Home Depot first thing in the morning, there's a possibility that you'll see workers kind of milling around hoping a contractor is going to hire them for the day. They're usually men, poor, marginalized, probably undocumented. In Stanford, there's a stretch of uh, sidewalk near an on-ramp to Interstate 95, where over the years I've noticed that workers will congregate on the hope that they're going to be hired. Um, three weeks ago, I attended an all-day mediation down in Stanford that let out shortly before 5 o'clock, and I was driving over to get on the on-ramp, and I saw... I think three workers still milling around there, hoping that they'd be hired. And I wondered to myself, how much of a workday was even left that someone would be looking for labor at that hour? And can you imagine the stress of, of not knowing if you're going to bring home to your family some kind of day's wage? Can you imagine the discouragement of having to go back home at the end of the day and explaining to your spouse that you didn't work that day, no one hired you? It's depressing. It's depressing to comp uh, comprehend that kind of day-to-day, hand-to-mouth existence. But that was the labor pool from which the landowner in the parable was doing his hiring. Now, I have always been struck by the, uh, the complexity um, of Jesus' parables. And I always wondered to myself, did he think these up on the spot? Or, or did he have them sort of worked out in advance? I mean, there, there are some parables that are recorded in multiple Gospels. But this wasn't one of them. It's only in Matthew's Gospel. And it suggests to me that to the extent that Jesus had parables that were in his rotation of parables, this wasn't one of them. It starts off innocently enough. Master of the house goes to the market early in the day, hire men for the vineyard. Maybe it's harvest time. Maybe the vines need pruning. Whatever. There's a particular need for extra workers that day. And the master agrees with the first laborers that he'll pay them a denarius, which is, at the time, a standard one day's wage. It was referred to as the wage. At the third hour of the day, he goes back looking for more workers. Did he underestimate his labor needs? We aren't told. But he hires more workers, this time telling them that he's going to pay them whatever is right. There's no suggestion of a negotiation. Third-hour laborers are probably just happy to be hired. This is repeated at the sixth and ninth hours. And by this time, it seems pretty unlikely that the master has underestimated his labor needs. Something else is going on here. 
At the eleventh hour, the master returns for the fifth time. Ask the remaining laborers why they've stood around idle all day, to which they predictably reply that no one hired them. So he sends them also into his vineyard, even though the workday is rapidly coming to an end. So that's strange, but what happens next is even stranger and more unexpected. In verse 8, we learn that the master has a foreman. Oh, well, why didn't he send the foreman into the marketplace to do the hiring, especially if it was going to take five trips? You know, in the Middle East, landowners and landowners in that era were typically sort of gentlemen farmers. They didn't get personally involved in the, in the day-to-day of their businesses. They might get an accounting at the end of the day from a foreman, but that's about it. Not so this landowner. Very hands-on. Very engaged in the operation of his vineyard. Further, the master, who's now referred to as the owner of the vineyard, gives very specific instructions for how the wages are going to be paid. Now, predictably, the laborers who worked from the first hour are perturbed when they find out that everyone gets the same amount. They've been satisfied enough with their agreed-upon pay, but full pay for everyone, especially those who worked the last hour, maybe, or couple of hours? It doesn't sit well. And implied in their complaint is that the recently hired workers had it easy. They got paid fully for far less work. But did the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hour workers really have it so easy? They spent their day, or a large chunk of it, hanging around the marketplace facing the possibility that they wouldn't have any money to buy food for their families' tables. Of course, the problem of the grumbling laborers, it could have easily been avoided. All the vineyard owner needed to do was pay them first. They would have taken their money and gone on their way, and just the vineyard owner could have paid everyone in that sequence, and then the 11th hour workers would have been surprised and delighted that they got the same pay, but no one else would have been aware of it necessarily. That would have been so clean and simple. So why didn't the master avoid the tension? Clearly, he wanted all the workers, each of the workers, to, to observe the grace and compassion that he was showing to every other worker. There's a dignity to work. And even if it was going to be a partial work day for some of the laborers, the master wanted them all to be able to say they'd worked. It was for that reason that the, the master didn't just go into town at the 11th hour and see people standing around saying, you know what, I feel bad for you, you need to provide for your families, here's a denarius. Could have done that. But is there dignity in that? But the story still offends us, doesn't it? 
we kind of sympathize with the laborers who worked all day and in the end were no better off than the last hired. They fully earned their denarius. The others didn't. When, when Jesus was dying on the cross, one of the thieves crucified with him asked Jesus to remember him when he entered into his kingdom. Jesus' response suggests that the penitent thief's profession of faith had saved him. If true, that criminal, who may well have led an utterly immoral, violent, and sinful life, would have the same eternal life as the Apostle Paul or any of the Christian martyrs? Do we have a problem with that kind of equality? Do we celebrate death row confessions or do we roll our eyes at them? That's a challenging question for us. Something to think about. People in today's business world demand equal pay for equal work. And that is a good and just principle in today's economy. But this parable of the compassionate landowner is a reminder that that God's economy is not our economy. The all-day workers were angry, not, that be, not because they were underpaid, they were angry because others were overpaid. And they expected everyone to be paid proportionally, or that maybe they'd get a bonus for being there all day. It's like if you work at a job for 20 years and you're relatively happy with, with what you're being paid and then they hire a new guy for the same job level, same job title and he gets the same pay. That's not going to sit well. You may have heard of the concept of relative deprivation but if you haven't, we're going to learn about it. In a nutshell, it has to do with thinking that you're doing well, your needs are met, you're satisfied with your lot in life, and then you find out that someone has something more than you have, and suddenly you're no longer happy with, what, with the very same circumstances that have been perfectly acceptable before. I, I saw a, a very compelling uh, example of this involving an experiment involving two monkeys. We're going to see a, a clip from the experiment in a moment. But just to set it up, uh, have a monkey who was given a very simple task to do. I think he had to ha hand a stone to the handler. Um, and as a res reward, he would get a piece of cucumber, which he liked. He en seemingly enjoyed the cucumber. And would repeat the task in order to get more pieces of cucumber. But then a second monkey is introduced with the same task, but that monkey gets a grape. And things go south in a hurry. Are we uh, ready for the clip? So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. 
and she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now and gets again cucumber. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> Life was good, but now it's bad because someone else has it better. And that is pretty much what is going on with the all-day laborers, who'd probably been considering themselves pretty fortunate earlier in the day, but now they don't feel as good even though their own circumstances haven't changed at all. So what do we make of this kind of weird, unsettling parable? I, I think there are two aspects of the story that ought to resonate with us. First, and this is probably pretty obvious, but the, the master had compassion on the unemployed. He had compassion on the discouraged laborers who hadn't been hired earlier that day. And there's no handout. The master recognizes there's, there's no dignity in a handout. He gives all of them the dignity of going home to their families and saying, you know, it took a while before I was hired, but I was hired and this is what I was paid. And if the parable ended there, it would be a nice story about the compassion and grace bestowed by a vineyard owner, thus suggesting, suggesting God's even more abundant compassion and grace. That would have made for a sweet parable if it had ended right there. But we also have the reactions of the all-day workers. Now remember, the master could have avoided all this if he just paid them first and gotten them out of the way. But seemingly did not because he wanted them to see the compassion bestowed on everyone else. You might even think that the, the those that were first hired would, be, would sympathize with the other workers because they'd all been in the same boat earlier that day with the uncertainty as to what was going to happen that day. It, it's a parable that's as much about coveting as compassion. Covet is a word we don't use much these days because it sounds so uncomfortably biblical. Yet, it made the top ten list of commandments. The simplest definition of covet is to want something that belongs to another, especially if you think they don't deserve it and you do deserve it. The parable of the compassionate landowner is about our frustration with the grace of God as it applies not to us, but to others. We don't necessarily think God has treated us unfairly, but we might think that God has been too generous with his grace when it comes to others. Because they don't deserve it as much as we think we would deserve it. Right? Isn't that why we have a tendency to take kind of a perverse satisfaction in hearing about celebrity scandals? You know, when there's a someone famous who gets arrested or who has a failing marriage. Don't we kind of think to ourselves, see, they didn't deserve that fame, they didn't deserve that success, 
Does that thought ever cross your minds? Mine neither. (laughs) So while the parable is about a group of laborers begrudging the compassion shown by a landowner on other laborers, it's also about us and it's about our attitudes to the world around us. And like many of Jesus' parables, it's left unresolved. And we want the conclusion, don't we? Did the annoyed workers change their attitudes? Did they just storm off? Did the landowner wind up hiring the later hired workers to work full-time or whatever? We don't don't know. There's no resolution. We shouldn't expect Jesus' parables to give us a nice resolution at the end. That wasn't their purpose. Remember, Jesus is describing what the kingdom of God is like. The parable tells us that in God's kingdom, we should, expect our, we should expect God's grace to be poured out in some pretty unexpected ways. And we need to prepare our hearts for that, even as we live in a world where we are constantly reminded of all the stuff we don't have. I mean, if we lived in isolation from the rest of humanity like in a cabin up somewhere or on an island, maybe relative deprivation wouldn't be that big a deal. But we don't live in that world. A number of weeks ago, Matt preached on the Ten Commandments. And he uh, spoke eloquently about the sin of covetousness. So I assume that nobody here is coveting anymore. But just in case there's a stray pang of covetousness in your hearts when you catch yourself maybe thinking that you know try to ask yourself whether the positive news about someone else is whether it's prompting you to want to celebrate with them or whether you think that maybe they don't deserve whatever good thing has happened or worse still whether you feel like a lesser person for not having what the other person has Are you ever troubled to see God's grace given to others in the form of help and dignity? Are you a monkey frustrated with your piece of cucumber? (laughs) You know, if if you do find yourself feeling that way, you consider whether deep down you really want to kind of want to take God's place in determining who gets the grapes and who gets the pieces of cucumber? That's a tough question, but it's one, it's one we should ponder. Would you pray with me? Father God, we live in a world where we're constantly, painfully aware of things that other people have or what other people are doing or experiencing. And it's hard not to relate that back to ourselves. Help heal our hearts of this. Help us to celebrate when good things happen to other people. Help us to rejoice in however you see fit 
to pour out your grace and compassion. In Jesus' name, amen.